I heard a story this past week about a mother who had grown sick and tired of hearing her children always telling her what they wanted Santa to bring them for Christmas. And so she decided to sit them all down and remind them about the true meaning of Christmas. And at some point in the conversation, she said, you know, Christmas is a time of giving and not receiving. Well, the children could tell that their mother really believed what sounded like absolute nonsense to them. And so they decided to meet together in secret and talk about what was going through their mom's head. And after meeting, they felt like something had to be done. So collectively, they all went to their mom in a very concerned manner. Uh, The oldest child acted as the spokesperson. Mom, we've been thinking a lot about what you told us about how important it is to give at Christmas time. With all of our talk about Santa, we realize you must have felt left out. We don't want you to feel this way, so I'll tell you what we've decided to do. Santa doesn't have to get us all the presents this year. If you want to get us some too, that's completely fine with us. <laughs> oh, the mind of a child. <laughs> well, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we're in week three of a message series called uh, Making Christmas Meaningful Again. You know, a season that's been uh, hijacked by consumerism and materialism. I think we could all agree with that. Uh, We're being challenged in this series to make Christmas what it should be, a joyous celebration of Jesus' birth. And my prayer this month has been that these messages uh, would teach us and encourage us um, how to to replace overbooked schedules with worship, uh, overspending with intentionality, a stale gift giving with meaningful connection, and selfishness with love and service. Last week, we talked about how our spending tells a story. And if if that's true, I believe that it is, what kind of story is your spending telling? If our spending is going to tell the kind of story that glorifies God, we need to ask ourselves some important questions before spending money. We need to understand that spending less does not mean spending nothing, And remember that the gift of meaningful connection, of relationship, is is always best. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In some ways, this message is a continuation of last week's message. And just like our spending tells a story, our gift giving tells a story as well. The best kind of gifts celebrate a relationship. And we see this most clearly in the Christmas story. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so looking to Jesus' example, we're going to talk about some practical ways uh, that we can give the best gifts possible this year. The gift of meaningful connection. I'm going to begin by reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning as I read God's word aloud. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word 
gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to use this time wisely today. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And we know that for us to live out your truths in our lives, um, it takes your work in our lives. So Lord, help us to be receptive today to what it is that you would want to teach us and, and show us. Help remind us about these truths that never change about who you are and what you've done on our behalf. I pray that this message and this time would be for your glory and for the good of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it sounds so obvious, yet we seem to have drifted away from this life-changing truth that we just read about. That our Heavenly Father gave us His one and only Son. That God's answer for the world's problems, for our sin problem, has never been material things. He gave us Himself. And this is the most priceless and personal gift of all. You know, this simple truth is why gift-giving is still a meaningful way for us to celebrate Christmas. It also points to a way out of the chaos and consumerism that uh, Christmas has become, uh, taking us back to the joy that can still be found at the heart of this story. You know, our giving, I believe, can actually reflect in some small way the, the power and beauty of God coming into the world as one of us. And so if we're going to give the kind of gifts that tell the right kind of story, we first need to understand the incarnation. How the word that John wrote about became flesh and dwelt among us. Now you won't find the word incarnation in your Bible, but the writers of Scripture describe it so powerfully that it's impossible to deny its reality. It's similar to the doctrine of the Trinity. We don't find that word Trinity in Scripture but we see that the authors of God's word write about it and describe it so clearly that it's impossible to, to deny its reality. The incarnation, if I had to sum it up into a sentence, and this is just a starting point for us today, but it would be this. The incarnation is the moment when Jesus, the div divine son of God, entered our story as a human baby. And again, while this is a solid starting point for understanding the incarnation, that Jesus lived on this earth as a human, and we know that it means so much more than a simple historical fact. I love what author Rick McKinley has to say about this. He says, the miracle of Christmas is the infinite becoming finite, an infant fully human and still fully God. And so this amazing truth lies at the heart of, of our faith. It's what unites Protestants and Catholics. It's what unites megachurches and house churches. All true Christians confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. Amen? The Gospel of John begins with these words, verse 1, that in the beginning the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We should pay attention to this. What is this word that he's talking about? 
This is John's description of his friend, of his Messiah, his Savior, his Lord. He goes on in verses 2 and 3. He says, he, so we know this word is a, a person. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. And so through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John told his original audience and us that Jesus not only created us, he also formed the world around us and cast the planets around that world and spaced out the galaxies beyond those planets. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. Unfortunately, these familiar words have grown stale to so many of us who gather for worship each week. We tend to rush past these incredible claims that John made in the opening paragraph of his gospel. And when we do, we miss the power and reality of the incarnation. You see, John had no hesitation in telling us that Jesus of Nazareth is more than a gifted teacher. Jesus was and is the Son of God. He is the word that he wrote about. And so when we read a few verses later in John chapter 1 verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We understand that to be the the miracle of the incarnation. When he wrote of the word becoming flesh, it means exactly what it sounds like that God became skin and bones just like us. That Jesus as God, chose to become one of us. That's the incarnation. Author Alan Hirsch said it this way, that the one who spoke galaxies into existence moved into our neighborhood in an act of humble love, the likes of which the world has never known. Jesus, as the incarnation of God, is our fullest and best understanding of God. Do you want to know what God is like? Get to know Jesus. That's actually what Jesus told us to do. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, The Father and I are one. If you keep reading, he says that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. Because of the incarnation, the infinite God becomes more tangible, becomes more approachable, and more, though never completely, comprehensible. It's because of Jesus that we know who the eternal God of the universe is and what he's really like. I mean, talk about a relational gift. One of our elders, uh, Joe Lidvina, he likes to say that Christianity is all about relationship. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And you know what? He's exactly right. Christianity, our faith, is all about relationship. The incarnation is part of what we celebrate each week when we gather together. Uh, We celebrate it at the communion table because the incarnation and the resurrection are not mutually exclusive. You can't have the resurrection without the incarnation. And it's the good news that we're sent out with each week as we go into a broken and hurting world who desperately needs some good news for a change. Apart from the incarnation, we would never fully know the depths to which we are loved by God or the links to which God can be trusted. That's what we celebrate each Christmas. 
And so practically speaking, what does all of this have to do with our gift giving? After all, that's what we're talking about today. What does this have to do with gift giving? Well, when we decide that we're going to rebel against the cultural norm by focusing our gift giving around relationship and not stuff, we're reminded about the greatest gift that our Heavenly Father gave to us, His one and only Son. You know, one of the big pressures each Christmas season is having to figure out what gift ideas we're going to purchase, how we're going to give gifts. I mean, am I the only one in this boat? I, we were at the mall yesterday, I'm just doing some last-minute things for, for stockings, and the lines were out the door, and, and I just kind of got the sense that it was, it was a mad stampede, a mad rush of people who were just reaching and grabbing whatever they could find. <laughs> Maybe you've been there. I believe the incarnation suggests in very practical ways what it looks like to give meaningful gifts, relational gifts. And that's what we're going to talk about in the latter part of the message today. I want to give you four aspects of what happened when God gave Jesus to us and how this can actually help us tell the right kind of story with our giving to others. And so number one, if you're taking notes, is this, that God gave us his presence. He gave us his presence. You see, in the incarnation, God drew close to us in very specific and, and, and a very miraculous way. In Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, he takes us back uh, to the words of the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, he says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I think the NIV translation just says, God with us. We're going to talk about that next week more in depth. This name of God, who Jesus is, Emmanuel, God with us. But for today, is it possible that even our gift giving could be drenched in this beautiful moment when God gave us his presence in a unique flesh and blood way? God had a face and a voice and he lived with real people. And there's something incredibly tangible about God's gift to us. And so what can this teach us about the way we give gifts at Christmas? Well, when we make time to be with one another, I think it's a form of relational gift giving. And it doesn't cost much. You know, giving our time and presence is, is not a new concept, but I would argue that it's a neglected one. In this season, I want to encourage you to think about ways in which you can creatively express uh, to a friend, to a family member, how much you want to be with them. How much you long to just be in their presence. I heard a great example of this kind of gift giving. If you uh, want a practical example, I heard this this past week. Uh, a young man decided to buy his dad one pound of coffee beans for Christmas and his dad loves coffee, so his gift came with one stipulation, though. It was written on the inside of the card. This is what it said. Merry Christmas, Dad. I know how much you love coffee. I also know that I need to be more intentional about spending time with you. This year, you're only allowed to drink this coffee when we're together. In the hours and days that it'll take you to finish it, I'd like for us to share stories and get reacquainted. What an amazing gift. 
His dad loves coffee, but the real gift was the gift of meaningful connection, was it not? I mean, this was an opportunity for them to make the most out of the time they had together. So God gave us his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. And this year, we need to think of ways that we can give our presence to someone else in meaningful but simple ways. It doesn't take much. And I'm going to give you more examples throughout the message today. Number two, if you're taking notes, the gift of Jesus was personal. So God gave us his presence, but the gift of Jesus was personal. Luke's account of the Christmas story includes the very famous uh, angelic announcement that we're so familiar with. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So I'm wondering if you were able to catch it. Uh, We sang it in the last song this morning. A Savior has been born to who? To you. Over and over again, the Gospels highlight the relational nature of Jesus. I mean, Jesus loved being with people. The gift of Jesus was personal. Um, In his book, Four Chair Discipling, author Dan Spader does a great job at articulating the relational nature of Jesus. He does this page after page. He talks about how Jesus was deeply committed to relational ministry. He gave uh, his disciples time to get to know him. He took some time to get to know them. Uh, Jesus was deeply invested in people's lives. He didn't just shout out, hey, come follow me, and then expect them to learn along the way. No, he taught people how to follow him. When he says, I'm going to teach you how to become a fisher of men. Uh, Jesus loved sinners profoundly. I mean, the Pharisees referred to Jesus as a friend of of sinners. They used this title to condemn him. They meant it as an insult, but Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. Jesus cultivated relationships. He paid attention to the least of these. He listened. He took notice. You know, we've all received gifts at Christmas that were less than personal, haven't we? Maybe you can think of a few real quick in your own mind. I think these kinds of gifts are often something the giver would want, but not necessarily the recipient. (laughs) I mean, have you ever opened a gift and just thought to yourself, sometimes I feel like you don't know me at all. (laughs) We've all been on the giving and the receiving end of this. Amen? We have. And so relational gift giving means that we pay attention to the other person. We follow in the footsteps of our Savior. We think about who they are and what they care about before going out and spending money. Uh, Last week, I suggested several questions that we need to ask ourselves before spending money. And I would argue that there are some important questions that we need to ask ourselves before giving gifts as well. Heard another very impactful story this week. A father and his daughter were enjoying their last Christmas at home before she headed off to college the following summer. You know, for him, the days were beginning to blur into weeks. And the little girl he once bounced on his knee was about to leave the nest. She was growing up. He decided to give her a more personal gift at Christmas that year. He gave her two beautiful leather-bound blank journals. There was nothing written in them. And it came with these instructions. You fill yours out, and I'll fill out mine. Over the next year, let's commit to writing down our honest thoughts about you leaving home. Our questions and fears about this next season of life. Frustrations you may have with overprotective parents during this season. 
and what it means for me to begin to let go, how it feels to watch you turn into an adult. And then next Christmas, we'll exchange our journals. So two empty journals for Christmas. That's what this daughter received from her dad. And you may be thinking, that doesn't sound very great. I mean, that's not a new iPhone, right? That's not a new computer, a laptop for school. But according to these two and what they shared, nothing could have been more relational. Nothing could have been more personal. No other gift would have been cherished and remembered for so long. I don't know the end of the story, but I have to imagine that this just sparked a new kind of relationship between a father and a daughter. You see, when we take time to think about the other person, they're, they're bent, the season of life that they're in, the likes and dislikes that they have, their needs, our gift giving becomes so much more personal, again, following in the footsteps of our Savior. Number three, God's gift was costly. It was costly. And now if I just gave you this point, you may be attaching a dollar sign to that, but that's not where we're going. You see, this is the aspect of the incarnation that reminds us about how Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our Savior. In places like the book of Philippians, we read about how Jesus intentionally took on the form of a servant. He didn't force his way into our lives. He didn't force his way into our world as the powerful king that he truly is. Instead, he chose to enter into our world in the most humblest of ways. Author Alan Hirsch said that this truth about Jesus now commits us to servanthood and humility and our relationships with each other and the world. He's saying this is our example and now this is the charge for how we are to live our lives. Living a life of servanthood. Living our lives to meet the needs of others before the needs of our own. And I think this starts in just in the simplest of ways. I mean, gauge the room this morning. There are needs in this room. This season, how can we look to someone and, and meet a need before meeting our own? How can we serve someone before being served? The gift that God gave us cost him everything. And so what does this mean for us as we give gifts to, to one another? I think in practical terms, it means that we need to accept that relational gift giving will cost us. And while not to the extent of what it costs Jesus to become human and give his life as a ransom for many on the cross, relational gifts will cost us our time and our energy. It will require you to put something into it. You know, relational gift giving can also be risky at times. I think we're so accustomed to this that it's just ingrained in the fabric of who we are. We go to the store, we buy the first thing that stands out to us, and we tend to gauge gifts based on the dollar amount. You know, taking the time to give a relational gift, it comes with its own set of challenges and questions. Uh, what if... What if the other person doesn't like it? <laughs> what if they don't understand my intent? What if they don't appreciate the time that I put into making or preparing this, this gift? But these questions, you know, this too is a reflection of the incarnation. And this is so beautiful. Don't miss this today. You see, Jesus gave himself 
knowing full well that some people would reject or misunderstand him. So part of relational gift giving is understanding that our heartfelt gifts may not intentionally be appreciated in the way that we think that they should be. That's okay. Hopefully they will, but that's not always always the case. You know, I can't think of a better way to give a gift to someone I love than to spend time and energy coming up with something that I think would fit who they are and would help cultivate a deeper relationship with them. And this whole message today, I'm just going to be honest with you, um, this is like part one of something that God's doing in my life and in the life of our family, and I hope that this continues to come up in the life of our church because God is, is doing something in our lives right now, and he's making it very uncomfortable <laughs> because when it comes to this season and what it means to spend money, to, to give gifts, to serve others, God is just shaking up the foundation of what we thought was right. And I hope that he's doing the same for you. There are big changes happening and big changes coming in the chapel house. <laughs> that leads us to the fourth and final point. God's gift bridged the gap. It bridged the gap. You know, the difficult reality is that many of us will not be able to be physically present with some of our loved ones this season. And can we just address that for a moment? Can we just be honest about that? Because I know that's not an easy thing. Most of us have experienced the inability to spend time with someone we love because of distance or because of circumstance. Maybe the relationship is not in the greatest of places. And if this is the case, how can you give relational gifts? How can you participate in this kind of gift giving if if that's part of your story? What could a meaningful gift look like from you this year? Two young women gave their grandma with whom they weren't able to spend much time with because of distance, um, a modest but very meaningful gift at Christmas. It consisted of a large mason jar full of colored strips of paper, 52 to them to be exact. And the instructions with this gift were simple. At the beginning of each day, their grandma was to randomly pull one of the brightly colored pieces of paper out of the jar. And on it, she would find a short story, no more than a few sentences, handwritten by one or both of her granddaughters. The stories would remind her about memories they shared together from their childhood. And this kind of gift, it bridged the gap. It bridged the gap of, of distance by celebrating some of the personal moments and these special memories that these two women shared with their grandma. It was also a way for them to tell her that she wasn't forgotten. I'm not in that part of my life right now. But I've been able to interact with with many of you whom I love. And I hear the stories about children that have grown up and have left home and, and they're far away. I've heard the stories about severed relationships. I've heard the stories about not being able to be together during certain times of the year that you want to be together can I just share with you today that there's hope? Number one, if, if your child or grandchild is just not in a good place spiritually, God has promised to finish his work to completion. 
The Bible tells us that when they're older, they won't, they, they won't depart, that they won't leave the faith. And I think a lot of times people think, well, they're going through a difficult season right now, and that must mean that they've just abandoned their faith. And they may be going through something difficult, but the promise is that when they're older. So we don't lose hope, amen? We don't lose hope. And if you're not able to spend time with someone whom you love this season. There is a way to give relational gifts that honor God, that glorify God first and foremost, that help us give in a way that models what he's done in our lives. So these kinds of gifts from these two granddaughters, it, it was a way for them to tell her that they hadn't forgotten about her. And reading a, a sh- short story every Monday morning actually became her favorite time of the week. A moment of nostalgia for sure, but also a time to worship and thank God for the gift of grandchildren. You know, these kinds of gifts, they take time, but friends, they're always worth it. Can I tell you a short story, just a personal example of a gift that I received from a church member that is one of my favorite gifts that I've ever received? It wasn't at Christmas, it was just random, and it was here. I'm not going to say this person's name out loud, but one of my favorite gifts that I've ever received happens to be this tiny wooden handmade chair that currently sits on the corner of my office desk. This thing is like, like this big, all right? I don't imagine that it cost a whole lot of money. I do think it probably took a lot of time to make. You see, a few years ago, I preached a sermon on the topic of prayer um, that I guess had an impact in this person's life And I talked about how prayer is just communicating with God. And we can talk with God anytime. We can talk to him just like he's sitting in the chair next to us. The illustration that came along with it was a person laying in a bed talking to an empty chair. This tiny handmade chair came with a piece of paper, uh, no larger than the size of a bookmark, with the title, The Empty Chair, typed at the top, and a few paragraphs of the story that I shared that day, just written in their own words. And I think about this all the time because I love this gift and I see it every day, but this kind of gift bridges the gap. Every time I look at it, I'm reminded to keep going in the role that God's given me because of the amazing things that he's doing here. It's an amazing reminder. Now for this person who gave it, it was very meaningful for them because this story had made a difference, but I don't know that they know how much of an impact it's made in my life as well. God's gift to us, the gift of his one and only son, bridged the gap. Because of the incarnation, because of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, burial, and ultimately the resurrection, we now have a way to be reconciled to God, to be made right with God. We celebrate Christmas because We've been given new life in Christ. We give gifts at Christmas because God gave to us the greatest gift the world has ever known. God gave us his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to talk about what that means next week. The gift of Jesus was personal. God's gift was costly. And God's gift bridged the gap. And so this season, the challenge, I think, is simple. The application may be a little harder. I want to encourage you to give the best gifts you can possibly give. Give the gift of meaningful connection. Give the gift of relationship. 
Let's make Christmas meaningful again. Amen.